Welcome to the Curiosity Key podcast. I'm your host, Charlie Wyman, and this podcast exists to feed your curiosity and help you explore ways to get more results from your B2B sales and marketing efforts. I want to help you take your clients on an adventure with your business, one that they want to keep coming back to and will tell others about. You'll find a mixture of episodes on this podcast, from interviews and curious conversations to shared insights, strategies, and tactics. So be sure to explore and dive into the episodes that will support you on your marketing adventure. Today's episode is a curious conversation with a really good friend of mine, Dr. Simon Raybould. And today we're going to be talking about the benefits of using, not just telling, stories in your marketing. Simon is a presentations consultant and an absolute powerhouse of knowledge and wisdom. So let's dive straight into this podcast. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Curiosity Key podcast. I'm joined by Dr. Simon Raybould. Welcome, Simon. Thank you so much for joining me. Absolutely my pleasure. I am really looking forward to a a bit of a conversation. (laughs) and uh, this is our second attempt at recording because uh, of various tech challenges and uh, we were just talking about the difference between um, the doctor and um, not having doctor in his name so you can choose that was that was that was yeah I I was talking about one of my daughters it was explaining when she was young she was explaining the my PhD to another friend of hers who said um, it's a bit like a brownie badge but slightly harder and I'm kind of just I'm fairly sure it's quite a lot harder than a brownie badge, but apparently not. Apparently it's just like a brownie badge, she says. So good for her. Well, there you go. So we are going to talk all about how to use stories in your marketing and also in your presentations so that you can create more impact. You can get more people engaged with what it is that you're trying to say. But first, Simon, tell us a little bit, why is it important to use stories in presentations? because stories, and I'm using the term stories here in the most generic possible sense, so bear with me for a second, but stories are important because they do two things. They, the first is they help your audience empathize with you and engage with you and have some kind of emotional relationship with you, which in turn is important because it means they're more likely to remember it. That's the key thing. So it's not engaging with you for the sake of it, it's engaging with you to stick it in their heads. And the other thing they do is they give your presentation structure So stories aren't random. Stories have event leading to event, leading to event, leading to event, leading to event, leading to consequence event right at the end. And people are very, very much more likely to remember what it is that you have said if things come with a pattern. And structure, like a story, is a kind of pattern. So sometimes it's not the story itself that matters so much as the fact that the story has a structure, the fact that the story has a pattern. So it's about using that element of stories rather than just telling the stories for its own, you know, for their own sake. And we were talking before, which um, we got cut off from the podcast. So we're just going to revisit this a little bit because um, we were talking all about uh, events and trade shows and conferences, especially uh, for technical companies, engineering companies, manufacturing companies, and that kind of thing in that there are a lot of people giving very technical presentations, but not using stories. Can you talk to us a little bit about um, your experience in this field? 
Oh, gosh, I was a, a research academic for 24, 25 years. At the end of that, I was a manager. But for the vast majority of that, I was a research academic. So I used to go to conferences on the most profoundly important things you can imagine, such as what is it? Well, my personal field at that time was what is it that gives small children leukemia? I mean, you can't get much more important than kids dying of leukemia. But the delivery of them was so mind-numbingly boring that it just didn't work for the audience and, and nobody remembered anything. And that was because the presenters were telling largely, I'm going to invent some jargon here, they were inventing the story of the data rather than the story in the data. Let me just unpack. So they were saying, here is how I did the research. Here is what went wrong. Here is what I did to compensate for it going wrong. Here is the technique that I used. Here is the quality check that I used. So it's the story of creating the data, the story of creating the results. And respectfully to those people, nobody cares about the story of the data with two exceptions. The first is the person who did it. And the second is, if somebody has already massively bought into what the data is about, then they might just care about how you got it in order to check its validity. But unless that happens, no engagement. What you should be doing, of course, instead is telling the story in the data, not of the data, in the data. This means that this probably causes children's cancer. Or this means that so-and-so probably does not cause children's cancer. That's the result. That's the bit that people are interested in. Not the how the hell you discovered that that was true or false. And certainly not the the minutiae of how you checked your data and checked your data and checked your data. I get that people need to know that, but a presentation is not the place to deliver it. That goes in the dead tree hard copy format that people download after the presentation. And one of the reasons why I wanted to get you on this podcast, Simon, is because we all know how much you love marketing. And um, even though you hate to admit... <laughs> <laughs> that secretly you know a lot about marketing is that just, you know just i've got to cut in there right? just for those people who don't know me i i like marketing about as much as i like paying taxes i recognize it as a necessary evil but i really don't want to actually have to do it and i think you know you're not alone in these feelings i definitely yeah. used to feel like that because i you know i fell into a marketing role i just figured out a way to learn to love it and get what i needed from it um and a lot of that was going to conferences and trade shows and that was always the the most we spent in our marketing budget went on conferences and trade shows and going out and meeting people and listening to presentations and actually presenting in front of your audience is such a powerful form of marketing and a really really effective form of marketing and there are, there's a very big difference between the people that get it right and then the people that struggle let's say with that process so because presenting is such a, an incredible form of marketing, it's one that you can do um, on a budget. It's one that you can keep practicing and honing and doing more and more of. I just wanted to dive into kind of some of the mistakes that people make when they're designing their presentation and how to kind of work around it so that they can be more memorable and really sort of hit the point hard with their audience. So the first thing is that one that I've just, I've just mentioned, telling the story in the data, not of the data. But the other things to remember are that, well, let me give you an example. Okay, so I, I'm, I'm sitting here in my home office upstairs. Now, my wife is out at the moment, but let's pretend she was downstairs. And routinely what she does to me is shout upstairs, do you want a cup of tea, Simon? 
Well, firstly, that's a silly question because the answer is always yes, but set aside. Now, the thing is, because I'm concentrating on something else, I don't know that I'm supposed to answer her until I've heard the word Simon at the end of the sentence. Do you want a cup of tea, Simon? I don't even know I'm supposed to be listening to her until the end of that sentence. By which time then I've got to go, what did she say? Um, oh, yeah, I do. Yeah, please. But there's a five second delay at that point, by which time she's moved on and assumes I don't want a cup of tea. Here's a better idea. Shout my name first. Simon, you got my attention. Now I paint and now I'm listening to you. And then you say, do you want a cup of tea? It's a much more sensible way of asking the question. Simon, would you like a cup of tea, darling? Right? Same thing for presentations. Because what most people do is they talk about, here's what I did, here's what I did, here's what I did, here's what I did, and here's what it means. But actually, nobody cares. Nobody's interested in this bit <laughs> unless they've decided that this bit is the interesting bit. Right? Does this apply to me? If no, the presentation has been a waste of time. If yes, I should have listened to all of this bit first. But wouldn't it make an awful lot more sense then to put the bit where my wife catches my, calls my name at the beginning? This is why you should listen to this presentation, because by the end of this presentation, this is what you will be able to do, which you cannot currently do. And at that point, I'm kind of going, no, this is not for me. And I can go off and get a cup of tea or I can go, oh, do you know what? This is for me. And now I'm really going to pay attention to the content because now I know why it matters. So second tip, get the why, get the big reveal, get the denouement, get the sexy bit right at the front, catch people's attention with the why the hell it matters. And I'll go further than that. Why the hell it matters for them. <laughs> Not just why it matters in the big, why it matters to them, because nobody cares about why it matters to anybody else. All audiences are selfish. That's an overstatement, but you, you get the gist. And the other big mistake I'm seeing quite a lot at the moment is either telling stories for the sake of it or not telling stories at all. And, and when I say telling stories for the sake of it, what I mean is that they've someone has said to them, you've got to tell stories in order to be interesting. Someone like me, a presentation skills trainer, has said to them, tell stories in order to be interesting. But without telling them how to do that, it, it's pointless. So what they do is they just tell a story about how cool they are. You know, I have I've seen I have seen speakers where they metaphorically said, I was raised by alligators. And if I can be raised by alligators, you can be raised by alligators too. Which is, I mean, unless he actually says, and here is how to be raised by alligators, all that is is an ego trip. So it's it was a bloke that did it as well. Um, I can see why you don't like a lot of marketers now, because I think it's a big problem in the industry with a lot of marketing experts. And I fell foul of this you know, a few times over the years, is that there's a lot of people that are telling you what you should and shouldn't be doing without necessarily going into the detail around how to yeah. actually do it. And then more often than not, you, you go out to try and figure that thing out and do it. And you only realize that actually you shouldn't have been doing that in the first place because it's not going to work for you. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, it's sort of part of what I'm trying to help people with is, you know, you've got to explore different forms of marketing. So we're talking about present, you know, presentations. If you feel confident to go and stand up on stage and present at an event, a conference, a trade show or whatever, then brilliant, hone that craft and do that because it will work really, really well for you. But that's not the only way that you can present. 
you know, if you feel more comfortable behind a microphone doing a podcast, you know, you could have your own podcast, you could be interviewed on somebody else's podcasts, uh, you could do video, you don't always have to be front and center of the camera. It's about exploring what's going to work for you. Yeah, don't forget, those are those are just presentations. It's just that they are a yeah. presentation in a different format. They're a presentation to a microphone rather than a presentation to an audience. But you're right, I'm exactly right about one of the reasons that, that a lot of marketers grind my gears is because they tell me what I should be doing without telling me how I should be doing it. And that's just a dirty trick. It's, it's, it's about as equivalent. My wife is, is five foot two and a fag end tall, right? And we've got shelves in our kitchen that I can reach and she can't. The stuff that goes up there is the stuff we don't use very often. Well, occasionally she might ask me to go to reach something for her. Well, I've got two options at that point. What I usually do is just reach it for, but what I could do also is I could just say to her, I don't want to reach that for you. Do you know what you need to do? You need to be taller. Well, <laughs> unless I actually tell her how to be taller or help her to be taller by giving her a set of steps or by picking her up, that's just a... I can't swear on the podcast, but that's a, a just a phrase. It, it's just a self-aggrising. Be taller is 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 no use. Be smarter. Um, it's about as much use as somebody trying to lose weight, and and their their nutritionist diet coach says eat less. Well, how? <laughs> Exercise more. Great. How? Uh, those things are important to your audiences. They're not necessarily important to the marketer in me, but they are crucially important to your audience. And also it's like understanding what's going on behind the scenes as well. So if you use the diet analogy, somebody saying, oh yeah, eat more, eat less. You know, some people need to eat more in order to lose weight, whereas some people need to eat less. So just kind of taking that statement on face value is not going to help you without realizing which category you fall in. So, you know, in marketing, if you're going to be marketing to your audience, as Simon said, you know, be clear about, you know, who it's for, who are you aiming it for? Because, you know, you're going to get a lot of respect in your industry by not wasting people's time. You know, there's nothing worse than sitting in the crowd of a presentation that you think is going to be relevant for you. And you only realize at the end that actually it doesn't apply. So there's it's, it's a betrayal. A- I'll, I'll, I'll call it what it is. It's a betrayal. The audience have, um, okay, I'm on my soapbox now, right? <laughs> your audience has trusted you to the point where they have turned up, to the point where they have paid attention, and sometimes to the point where they've paid hard cash as well. And if you don't deliver, it's a betrayal. It's theft. That's really stick. I'm overstating the case for inf- but it's theft. You have stolen their time. But I'm picking up on something else you've just said there. If you don't tell people why they're doing things or how they're doing things, and all you do is tell them that they should be doing things, they will inevitably do it wrong. So in marketing and in presenting, you get people telling stories without understanding that the story is there to support the point. And what they do is tell a story and throw an illustrative point or a tool or a technique in at the end of the story. What the audience needs is, here is the point, here's the learning idea, and here's a story that illustrates how to do it or illustrates the illustrates the effect of that, which sounds like semantics, but it changes the whole way you and the audience relate to the topic that you're talking about. And it's incredibly powerful as well, because when you're doing it and you are letting your audience know who it's aimed at and what they're going to get from it, you get that buy-in. But also it's that, you know, word of mouth marketing has been around for centuries. It's one of the most powerful means of marketing. 
you're never going to please everybody, but if you can make an impact on an audience and they can remember you for the thing that you actually want to be remembered for and known for, then even if they don't stay for the, the full duration of your presentation because it's not relevant to them, they're much more likely to say to somebody who it would be relevant for, oh, go and check out that presentation or look out for that speaker at the next event because then it's going to be much more relevant and you're going to attract more of the right people rather than just people that you just so happen to be in front of. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, there's nothing more to be said, really. End, end of paragraph. Oh, my days. <laughs> um, so I, I want to touch on what you, you've said before as well, because the two differences between telling stories and using stories, okay? And, you know, I think a lot of people, and I've struggled with this in the past as well, is how, how get into the nitty-gritty now, how can somebody plan a presentation so that they use stories to illustrate points and don't fall into that trap of just telling stories? So the, the ideal way of doing it is, is to buy a presentation genius design pack, but um, <laughs> quick plug aside. Um, what you want to do is design the presentation as a training, as a teaching, as, a, as an education thing. What is it I want to tell people? In what order I want to tell people? And then only when you have got the design of the presentation sorted out do you go back and do two things you go back to each section of the presentation and for each section of the presentation you do two things the first of which is what is it going to look like how am i going to explain that is it best done by interpretive dance is it best done by a slide is it best done by trained elephants most people will default to it's best done by a PowerPoint slide because they don't think about the other things. And God knows why you wouldn't think about trained elephants. I have no idea. Um, but the second thing is, once I've decided that the best way of doing it is a slide or the best way of doing it is a story or the best way of doing it is X, Y, and Z, then you figure out how to do those things. So the stories and the design, they are very, very secondary to the structure, the overline headline structure. So sorry, I've waffled. Get your structure. And then for each bit of the structure, figure out the how and the stories. It's a great tip. So if you're wondering and you're listening to this on the move, I will summarize these points in the show notes. So do not worry. Just go to my website, charliewyman.com forward slash podcast, and you will find the show notes for this episode, as well as a link to Simon's design pack, which, you know, he, he did throw that in as a little plug, but it is very, very useful, <laughs> um, especially if you're new to doing this. Um, but if talk a little bit about like tips um because everybody has a slightly different style of preparing for presentation and and doing things mm. um let's let's take the reluctant storyteller which is something that you're talking about a lot at the moment somebody that mm. wants to use stories but they're a little bit on the fence uh, and they're preparing for a presentation okay where do they start and what do they do oh bye we mean other than give me a phone call obviously um the way you start is by you start at the end start with the end in mind figure out if if my presentation was only a single tweet long what would that tweet be what would the thing be that my audience would take away and then for anything and everything else that you might think about wanting to include in that presentation you ask yourself that this this rather silly question does it make the boat go faster does it make it more likely that the audience are going to remember that tweet? If yes, include it. If no, or don't know, or maybe, or probably, or I guess so, it's gone. 
It has to go. So all you're left with is the absolute bare line minimum that gets you to what you need to tell the audience. Then put that at the beginning, obviously, as as, as I said earlier on. Um, so you start by thinking, what is it I am trying to achieve? And then you ask yourself, how am I trying to achieve it? What you don't do is what every reluctant storyteller on the planet does, is they go, oh, my God, I've got to make a presentation. I'll turn on PowerPoint because that's what everybody else does. And as soon as you do that, you are locked into PowerPoint's linear design structure, which may or may not be, probably isn't, the right way of doing anything, least of all, uh, least of all the presentation. So I guess if I'm going to give it one simple tip, it is design on paper, not, not using slides or anything along those lines, and do the visual elements right at the end. The last thing you do is actually design the visuals of the presentation. But if you're going to do those, the best thing you can do with them is get your visuals to tell the story or to tell a story. So you show something big on the screen behind you or in Zoom on the screen in front of your audience that captures the entire point of what it is that you are trying to say. And then your voice provides the detailed data that goes with that. So the visual carries the, the visual carries the story, the visual carries the day, and your voice carries the data and the details. There's a shed load of research that suggests that that is the way that is going to work for most people most of the time. I absolutely take your point that everybody has a different way of doing it, fine. But that's the one that works for most people most of the time. And it's true in the same in the sense that it's true in the sense that most women, men are taller than most women. There are exceptions to every rule. Charlie, I've never met you in Charlotte. I've never met you in, in real life. <laughs> I don't know how tall you are. All I've ever seen you is, is kind of from the shoulders up. I don't know how tall you are. But knowing nothing else about you except that you're female, the chances are I'm going to be taller than you. You might be taller than me, but statistically I'm more likely to be taller than you. And that structure I've just given you is, is true in the same way as I'm more likely to be I'm likely to be taller than Charlie. I don't know how tall I used to get that all the I am five foot eight. I am taller than you. Yeah, hurrah. a lot of hurrah. <laughs> uh, I think it's, it's it's one of the. I used to get that all the time when I was rowing. So again, sometimes you can use the information and the data that you've been given to to make those assumptions. Um, but yeah, I used to get that all the time when I was rowing. It's that you know, uh, men are always stronger than women when it comes to rowing. More often than not, yes. But there are some women that are stronger than some men, uh, especially at the top of their game, and um, yeah. it's fascinating. Oh, hell uh, yeah. so my, my, my daughters are stronger than I am. Um, I, I try to keep up with my daughters in the training regime and in the gym, and there's not a cat in hell's chance because they are just fitter, faster, and stronger and meaner than I am. Yeah, like the meaner, the meaner fu uh, function. But I wanted to talk to you about assumptions because we all make assumptions, um, and especially from a scientific background, how um, damaging can assumptions be in a presentation? And in oh, a story. Can be, you can't, well, it can be completely screwy, can't they? I mean, if the assumption you're making or the assumption the audience is making happens to be true, there is no problem. <laughs> it is just that you don't know that your assumption is true or not until after you've made it, tested it, and discovered that you made the you know completely the wrong assumption. So assumptions themselves are not necessarily evil. The process of assuming is, is the evil bit. And, and that sounds like semantics, but it, 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 you know, the, the assumption might be the correct one. So don't assume that assumptions are wrong, if you're getting fairly meta at that point. The process of making assumptions is, is fairly dangerous. And the process of making assumptions is just mitigated by research. If you know what it is you are trying to say, 
and who you are trying to say it to, then it's very difficult to make assumptions. If you don't know what you're trying to say, or you don't know exactly who you are saying it to, then assumptions will start to creep in there, I assume. All of, it's all <laughs> um, about research at this point. And, but it brings me on to my next point, which is um, an assumption that somebody uh, said to me. So they assumed that in order to present something scientific and technical, the presentation had to have lots of graphs, lots of information and lots of data in order for it to be credible and taken seriously by their audience. So I wanted mm. to talk to you about that. They're doing that because that's the way they've seen it done. And we always do what, what has always been done because we think that people before are showing us how to do it. The research is very clear that the more easy you are to understand, the more people trust, like, remember and act on what it is that you are saying. So this idea of, of throwing data at people with graphs and tables and all of that kind of jazz on the screen behind you actually works against the, the audience's ability to understand you and the audience's ability to remember stuff and to trust you and so on. If you have to, if you absolutely have to include a graph, just include the headline graphs, the graphs which tell the story of the data, if you see what I mean. If you absolutely have to give the data, data is best given in hard copy that people download after the presentation. So the best combo is to make your presentation sexy enough to mean that people want to download the boring detail. So you know, I might give a presentation and I'll say to people, if you want the show notes for this, you can go to presentationgenius.info slash boring.pdf and you can download, obviously you use a different name than boring.pdf. <laughs> well, maybe you don't actually. But you, you, give it, you, you put all the backup data there. So if you're a marketer, your, your presentation is about how you can help people and or how they can help themselves. You don't give them the click this mouse, press that button type stuff if it's social media marketing. All of that goes in the the, the hard copy afterwards or a video afterwards or if, you know, if you're getting all technical about it, but it doesn't come in the presentation itself. This is, you've just shared a very uh, sort of ninja trick with our listeners uh, because in a, in a b2b context if you're uh, presenting to an audience or if you're trying to market to a client base then the person that you're speaking to isn't always the person that makes a decision and also the person that you're speaking to um, isn't always interested in the things that other people need in order to make that decision so if you can present and capture their attention but also give them a PDF with the data, with the detail, and with the things that are important to some people in the buying process, then you are making their job easier to be able to make more informed decisions and also put you at front and center of those conversations because they've seen you talk, you've had an impact on them, you've given them something that helps them do their job and present it to other people within the organization. Therefore, you are standing over, like head and shoulders over and above Absolutely. other people yeah. that are also trying to market to that audience. For the reason that you've given them a tool with which they can take to other people. But also don't forget that a download at the end of your presentation just helps people remember who the hell you are. But if you, you know, most conferences or whatever, they'll have seen six, seven, eight, nine, God help us, 12 presenters in a day. Nobody can remember 12 presenters in a day. But if they've got a download from you with your face on it, and the headline of your presentation and the helpful stuff that go, oh yeah, that was the speaker who told the story about such and such. He was cool. She was cool. They were cool, whatever the combination is. And away you go. I want to read this material. 
Uh, I could talk for ages about <laughs> tips for conferences and trade shows because there are so many opportunities to be gained, but we don't have a huge amount of time. So I think that's going to have to be the subject for a future episode. Um, but I, as we're sort of short on time, I just want to talk a little bit about using uh, personal stories because when we've spoken in the past about the reluctant storyteller, we have people that assume, assume, there we go, uh, assume that to tell stories, you have to sort of share sort of personal information, personal details and things like that as well, which isn't always the case. And I know that you have a lot of opinions on this. So I, I do have opinions on this, quite strong opinions on this, um, largely based upon the research of engagement with audiences. So I, I try to hold my opinions separate from the research base as far as I possibly can. And the, the, an assumption that stories have to be personal is, is a very dangerous assumption because actually what that tends to do is alienate your audience. I did this, I did this, I did this. Here are stories about me. Those are not stories with which an audience is going to engage. Stories that are about somebody else that the audience can engage with now, those are, those are useful stories, but personal stories, nah, even if it's, to be honest, I've cheated. I'm going to whisper this into the microphone. A couple of times I've told personal stories pretending they were somebody else, just, just so that it doesn't sound so damn personal. But if you can make the story about somebody that the audience gets, somebody like them, they're much more likely to engage with it. So personal stories, uh-uh. apart from anything else, they're, they're just embarrassing and egocentric. So uh, stories about other people are always a better option. There you go. And also another marketing tip there. It's like the more your marketing can be about your target audience, the more impact you are going yeah. to have with it. Yeah, don't make it about you. Don't make it about what's in the box because nobody cares. People care about what that box is going to do for them. And that applies well, to services, products, uh, pretty much everything. You've, you've, you've nicked that phrase from somebody. I can't, I can't think who. Nobody cares what's in the box. They just care what the box can do for them. I can't think who you've nicked that it's from. It's come up quite a lot over the years. I thought, was it you? Yeah, it was me. <laughs> I'm sure I've used it before I even met you. <laughs> but it does come up quite a lot, what's in the box. Um, especially, uh, like, literally, I used to market laser scanning equipment. And, um, yeah, it, it was a sort of fancy box. And everybody in the industry used to spend so much time waxing lyrical about what was in the laser scanner, all of the stuff that went into it, and not enough time actually talking about what that laser scanner did for the target audience. And also, because so many different people and so many different industries could benefit from using a laser scanner, all of the marketing was just so generic instead of focused on the individual so, so uh, sort of audiences and their goals. Right, here's a, here's a last brutal tip. Nobody cares how something works unless and until you have convinced them that it works and works for them. So what you're trying to sell them is the fact that it works and works for them. And if they buy into the story that it works and it works for you, then they might come and ask you about how does it work, but you wait until they ask those questions. So this podcast, we've been talking a lot about using stories. We've talked a lot about presentations and speaking, but a lot of the things that we've talked about can be applied for all sorts of different areas of marketing. Um, because to be honest, you are pitching all the time. You are always presenting, whether you have slides or not, whether you're standing on a stage or not. Um, so there's so much you can gain from listening to this podcast and kind of taking different things away, but also most importantly, applying yeah. it to what it is that you're doing.
So the principles apply for written documents just as much as. Yeah. Sorry, go on. <laughs> We've got a delay. The delay has crept back in. Um, so apologies for anybody listening because I um, will not edit this out. Um, but uh, we are running shy of time. So we'll just wrap this up. Simon, what is the best way that people can get in touch with you and benefit from all of your knowledge and wisdom? Well, I've got a really exciting thing coming up in February. Um, it's called The Reluctant Storyteller. So it's about people who know that they've got to tell stories or feel they should tell stories or whatever, but don't want to. And if people want to, if people identify with that and they think, yes, I'm a reluctant storyteller, I'd be really excited to hear from you because I'm framing the concept now. Uh, and the best way to find out about that is to go to reluctant.presentationgenius.info. Reluctant Presentation Genius Info. Uh, and what that'll do is allow me to keep in touch and go, here is what the package, here's what the program, here's what it's all going to look like when it launches in February of 21. There you go. And Simon is also on LinkedIn and also a member of the Curious Marketing Club as well. So if you want to find out any more information about any of that, then please let me know. All of the show notes are available on our website. Until next time, thank you for listening. Ciao for now. Take care. When marketing isn't your primary focus or area of expertise, it can quickly become very overwhelming, frustrating, and end up at the top of your I'm avoiding this list. If you'd like to make your life easier and get results from your marketing, then I invite you to come and join us in the Curious Marketing Club, a virtual community full of support, guidance, and know-how. For details about the club and for the show notes from this episode, please visit my website, charliewyman.com. If you enjoyed this episode and want to learn from other people who are being curious and doing amazing things, then please subscribe and keep listening. Thanks for joining us. See you next time.